And Lord, that song is our prayer, that we stand abandoned for you. Lord, that we at this time offer ourselves as living sacrifices, completely acceptable to you because of what you have done for us. Lord, we abandon our self to you and the things that you desire for us. Lord, we know that you love us. We know that you care. And we know that you have a good future for us. Not an easy one, but a good one. And we lean into your goodness. We lean into your love and ask, Lord, that this morning our hearts, our minds would be open to hear from you. And that our lives would be open to live for you. And we do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Hope you guys had a great Christmas. It's great to see you here. You made it. We're here at the end of the year. I know that it was so much fun last week, at least for me. There are some things that that struck me last week that I, I just wanted to share and I don't know if you guys did anyone get a candy bar from someone that wasn't Genesis's idea that was just the Wells's idea to go around giving candy bars or if you got mistletoe that was just the Garcia's idea to put some things together what you did with that mistletoe we're not responsible for okay we disclaimer and What I loved was that people took it upon themselves to make that morning special. This morning we're going to do something a little bit different, or I am. I know you're probably saying, really? Different? We had a DJ on Christmas last Sunday. You're talking different? But I want to look back and reflect not only on the year 2013, but I want to share with you the things that have prompted us to be here and as we start looking forward the things that we want to lean into as a community of faith together and I think it's important that I can try and bring those some kind of clarity to those things so that you know what's happening it's is about five years ago was uh, Easter 2008 that Genesis became official I forget if it was May or April. It's always one of those. But it was Easter 2008. So we've been around now five years going on our sixth year, which I hear if you make it past the five-year mark, you're good, right? So I guess we're good. But there's been a lot that's happened in in that five years. And that, that journey actually started even further back. For me, it started in 2005 where I had a marked experience when I was on a short-term mission trip in Wales where I saw that God was able to work and reach people who at times seemed unreachable just by engaging in them in a more relational way, in a way that really was just more like Jesus. And, you know, learning is fine. Learning is important. It's good to have knowledge. But the knowledge will not create the future that we want 
to take place. The knowledge will help us learn information, but it will not give us the vision that's necessary. And I saw that there was the ability to actually make friends with people who were so far from God and to see all the barriers and excuses that they had of why they didn't want to follow Jesus because of all these Christian examples that they've seen and don't like. And all those erode just by embracing them and loving them and really caring about them without trying to force an agenda upon them. And so that started something in me. I I wanted to see that take place. I wanted to see that kind of outreach happen. And so I started trying to develop some things like that to make those things happen. And it worked a little bit, but there was some problems because the way I was doing things was different than the way some people had done things in the past. And whenever you do something new you're confronted usually with opposition. And turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, verse 16. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Alex will get you one. Hold it up. I'm going to go ahead and read Matthew 9, 16. Jesus says, No one sews a patch of untrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do they people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. There comes a time when the patches are useless, when you can patch things up, patch things up, patch things up, and finally you have to, to chuck it. And this idea of the wineskins, when they'd put wine into a wineskin and it would ferment, I don't know the fermenting process, how it works, but I know that like there's gases and bacteria, isn't that appealing, that start to develop and it causes that to expand. And so if they have new wine expanding in these old wineskins, the old wineskin is rigid, it won't move and it'll actually start to tear apart. And when... A man and a church have to accept the adventure of a new or withdraw from what is old. Sometimes people want to worship the past rather than worship God. And so you say, I want to reach these people and this is how God is is moving. That's not the way we've done it. No, no, that goes against us. What will people say? Well, I don't care what people say. I want to talk to these people. Well, no, if you do that, you're going to compromise and people are going to think that you're, you know, liberal, emergent, heretical. trying to think of other things they've called me. Um, But they'll think, they'll talk about you. But I want to reach these people. Well, that's not how we've done it. And there comes a time when we say, well, I'm not worshiping the past. I'm worshiping God. 
And God loves these people, and so I love these people, and so I'm going to do what I can to connect the reality of God to these people in a way that they can see that God really does care for him. You see, so many of our traditions are 500 years old, but we've held on to them because they've served us well for years and years and years. And, and we come, become very safe in our tradition. This is what I believe and I know and I'll study and I'll know the scriptures and I'll study some more and I'll know more about this. And pretty soon we become pharisaical and that we think we know everything that there is to be known. And whenever someone does something new, we get a verse and we throw it at them and say, well, no, that's not the way God does it. And sometimes we have to recognize what Jesus did. They held on to their law. The law is how we know God. And Jesus says, no, the law was just to point you to God. The law is not God. We do not worship the scriptures. The scriptures are the menu. They're not the meal. We use the scriptures to gain understanding, knowledge about God, but we worship God and we still hear his voice and we are still able to do the things he directs and moves us in because his sheep hear his voice. And so wanting to move into this direction sometimes causes conflict. Our, our minds need to be elastic enough to receive and contain the new ideas. And when any living thing stops growing, it starts dying. And so many times we don't realize that the church started dying because it stopped growing. Oh, it grew a little bit here and a little bit there. But society changed, culture changed, and now there's a whole subculture that the church caters to, which is itself. I was driving from a lesson in San, uh, San Pedro yesterday, and as I was coming up, I think it was the 605, might have been the 710. It was one of those going north, because I know that's how you got to get back. And so I was driving, and I was coming, heading up on that freeway, and there was a billboard a giant billboard and it says do you know or do you do you know Jesus i think that's what it said what did it say i wrote it down it said who is jesus question mark and then it had a scripture i forget the scripture cuz i was driving you know oh there uh, matthew something you know <laughs> hope you know jesus you know um <laughs> It said, do you know Jesus? And, and as I was passing by, I was thinking about that, and then I had a phone number. Again, all this while you're driving 65 miles an hour. I guess you could read it if you know it, and you'll pick it out. And I was thinking, huh, I remember there was a time when I would see a billboard like that, and I'd say, oh, that's exciting. Man, there's a billboard. Do you know Jesus? Wow, that's cool. Man, reaching people. But then I started thinking, who's going to call that number? And I would bet you that 90 plus percent of the people who call that number are people who already believe in Jesus and want to see if they're proclaiming the right Jesus. And you see, we've developed this culture where I'll throw a billboard up and give me a call. And the only ones who are calling are us. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, good. Are you really one of us? Yes, I am. You sure? I'm pretty sure. Okay, give me the four spiritual laws. Well, I don't believe in the four spiritual laws. I believe in the Romans road. Oh, oh, one of those. Okay, okay, thank you. Yeah, I don't know about them. 
we've gotten to that point. We start living in this subculture and there's a world outside that says, who is Jesus? Well, I know my friend. He says he knows Jesus and I don't want to be like him. And we don't realize that there is a message being proclaimed through our lives and that that's an important one that needs to take place. We need to understand that how we live and how we interact with other people is the deciding factor in so many lives. That what you believe has to be filtered through how you live. And I know too many people, and it's caused a lot of conflict in my family, in my kids who grew up in church and because I was involved in ministry in a deeper way, saw things in a little bit more clear way than maybe other people who just would come on occasion. You see, they, they saw the hypocrisy of the person who said, don't do this, but they allowed their kids to do it. The people who said, well, we don't want to act like this, but then they saw that they were acting like this. And so they withdrew and they said, this isn't for me because it's not genuine. It doesn't resonate with me and it caused a lot of conflict because what you know doesn't matter as much as how you live. And if what you know doesn't show up in how you live, then something's wrong. You see, having knowledge about God but not having the heart of God is a dangerous thing. Having the information about God but not having the compassion of Christ is a dangerous thing. Because people will see you as being a dictator. They will see you as being intolerant. They will see you as being unloving. They will see you as being someone who doesn't really care about them or their friends or the things that they are going through. And so Facebook is posted with all these comments. I believe this. I believe this. I'm with Phil. I'm with this other guy. You know, I... Everyone's posting, and so they see this and they say, oh, you're with them. I guess you don't care about me because we don't want to have actual conversation. We just want to stay in our little subculture, throw up billboards, throw up signs, throw up things, and not engage in the difficult conversations, not love people in difficult situations. And there was a point in my life when I said, I can't do this anymore. I am dying inside because God is speaking to me about these people and I'm not reaching them. I just keep throwing up billboards, having concerts, come to our church. We're having a concert. I don't go to church. Well, the Bible says, I don't believe the Bible. Yeah, but it says, thank you. That's for you. And so we have our Christian radio stations, our, our Christian clothing, our Christian schools, our, our Christian this, and we're pulling back out of the world more and more and more, and we're saying, yes, we're the light of the world. We're the light of the world as we walk away from the world. And I just could not do that. And, and so... 2005, we wanted to step out and do something different. And I got to tell you, I've done a lot of things wrong. I've learned, I hope, 
but I'm still learning. And I always worry about what's going on. And I'm not saying this to get pity from you guys, but I do, you know, think about what's happening and how things are going. And, you know, every time someone leaves, I take it personal because pastor, you know, I'm the one talking. If you were to all get up and walk out, I'd take it personal. You know, it would affect me. I'd say, oh, was it something I said? And usually it is something I say. And I've, I've had to challenge myself. Well, what do I do? I stop saying the things I saying. Do I, do I change my, my, Focus and make it back to what they want to hear because, you know, we could get a lot more people if I would just join this group here. And I've been invited to be a part of other church affiliations and I've said no and we've kind of stuck our camp with Mosaic, as many of you know, because I have to. I have to. I I cannot go back to what I was I cannot go back to that mentality that I had because it was so separatist. It was so exclusive. And Jesus kept trying to reach people and I kept putting up walls and I don't want to do that. But I know I need to do things better. I know I need to communicate to this community better in ways that help us all engage and have the same focus. We need to do things better. We need an administrator desperately. Someone who can make sure that things get done and get done properly. Because I'm terrible at it. Every month in your bulletin, there is a spelling error and it's my fault. (laughs) Because it's the week of that I say, oh no, we got to get the bulletin for that week. And this month, December 23rd, I said, oh, I need to get the flyer for January together. I called our printer up, got a, a message that said, thank you for calling. Someone's calling me, sorry. Thank you for calling, but we will be out of the office from today till next year. They gave me the dates, but all I heard is, no! (laughs) And so I'm scrambling to get things done, and I shoot Mary over a a text or an email because Mary's my proof person to proof and make sure I don't spell things wrong or put commas where they're supposed to be semicolons. I don't know the difference. There's a dot over one of them, you know? And, And so I send out that, but she's somewhere... Shopping, it's Christmas. It's the day before Christmas. Mary, where are you? Come on. And so I have to get this into a printer, so I do. And so you'll notice the word. Well, I'm not going to tell you the mistake. You'll see it. Some of you are laughing because you saw it already. That's my fault. Why? Because, well, I'm not good at administrating. And so we have to do things better. We really do. And, you know, we get together monthly and try and move our community forward in healthy ways. And there's just ways that we need to do it better. And I take those things personal. I I take responsibility for that, for how 
well things go as well as for how bad things go. I don't take responsibility for the baby crying in there. It's not my child. (laughs) And and so I want to challenge myself as we move forward, and and I want to challenge you because I want to journey together. I want to move forward together. And so we need to recognize that if we're going to move forward together, that our, our life has to matter. That how we live is telling a story. And what part and what role are you playing in this story that God is unfolding? And so I want to ask three questions this morning. We're going to look at one more passage. The first question I want to ask you is, Who are you? Now, when you hear that, do you get confused? What do you mean, who I am? My name's Sam. But who are you? If you were to give a definition of who you are and the things that matter to you, what would that look like? And it's amazing to ask a question that should be so central to who who we are, is so difficult to answer. Because, let's face it, we, we, we are bombarded with things that tell us who we are, who we need to be. Whether it's as men, as women, as parents, as kids, even as followers of Christ. We are bombarded with things saying, you're to be this, you're to be this, you're to be this. And so we think, well, that's who I need to be. Well, I'm not quite that. Well, I'm not quite that. And we find that we're, we're getting lied to, that we're being told a lot of things about ourselves that how do we know if those are true or not? So the question is, how do you know who you are? Well, I believe we know who we are by who Jesus says we are. That if we are staking our claim with who Christ is, with Jesus, then we should listen to what he says about who we are. He says that we're beloved in Jeremiah 31, verse 8. He says that we are his children in 1 John 3, 1. He says that we are delighted in, in Zephaniah 3, 17. He says that we are forgiven. In 1 Peter 2.24, he says that we are free in Galatians 5.1. He says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made in Psalm 139. He says that you are righteous in 2 Corinthians 5.21. So that's who you are. Now, If you're like me, you hear those and you say, oh, there's a big chasm between what Jesus says I am and what I believe that I am. At least that's how I feel. If you guys don't feel that way, I feel real vulnerable right now. But if you're like me, you hear those things and you say, I'm not quite like that. I don't feel very righteous. I I don't feel very fearfully and wonderfully made. And you see, like Adam and Eve in the garden, we've been lied to. And and God would come up to, to us and say, who told you you were naked? 
Who told you that you are not righteous? Who told you that I didn't delight in you? Who told you that you are not my children? Who said that you are not good enough for me? Who said that you are living a life that is in bondage? When I'm telling you you're free. And this is where we have to, again, lean into the things that God says and allow them to be what shape our lives as we move forward. Because as we allow God to shape our lives, it then affects who we are and how we live. Second question I want to ask is what do you want to do? Say, what do you mean? I want to go to lunch. I mean with your life. What do you want to do with your life? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. A passage of scripture that is pretty well known. As the author of Hebrews writes about all these heroes of faith, it starts with the first verse, First and second verse, actually in third. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understood that the universe was formed from God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, we see things that aren't yet. You see, faith and hope, hope specifically has to do with the future. We don't hope for things in the past. Hope Lakers win the NBA finals in 2013. Well, you can't hope for the Lakers in 2013. There's not a whole lot of hope for them in 2014 either. But you can, you can hope. You see, faith has got to lean into the future. We don't hope for things in the past. I hope she didn't break up with me. Well, that one you might, you know. But what we do is lean into the future. I hope I get that promotion. I hope my wife makes tamales. No, she's not here. Forget it. Um, <laughs> she's with the children. And so hope is always looking forward to something in the future. And you see, there is supposed to be this confidence in what we hope for. That's what the ancients believed. They believed that something was going to take place. And they leaned into that. They had confidence in that, even though they couldn't see it. And what's interesting is he said, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now, what we usually think when we see what is seen is not made out of what is visible, we think it was made out of nothing. But it's not saying that what we see was made out of nothing. See, everything that we see was made by God. And it was in the mind of God and it came to be. God thought and he said, and it was. 
And so what is visible was not made out of nothing. It was made out of what is invisible. What isn't seen because it is in the mind, or if you would, even the imagination of God. And the thing that separates us human beings from all other creation, all the other animals, is that we can imagine. Now, I don't know, I can't say for scientific certainly certainty, I can't even say certainly, that dogs don't imagine. But I train dogs, and I don't think they do. I don't think my dog imagines himself on a farm chasing jackrabbits. I think every now and then he has a dream about the cat next door because I see him spazzing out. But I don't think they have an imagination of a life that they would like. I don't think monkeys are sitting in trees saying, you know what, I'm sick of this tree stuff. I'm going to build a house. But we have this ability to see things that aren't yet. We have this ability to imagine a life that doesn't yet exist with a person in a career. And you see, God has given us faith so that we can lean into the things that we don't see, have confidence and hope for things to take place. So when I ask the question, what do you want to do? I'm challenging you in this area of a faith. What is the world you're wanting to see? What are you wanting to create? Now, this is one of those areas where usually Christians have a difficult time. When I say you need to create a future, they're like, oh, no, no, God creates the future. Well, a lot of people create futures. Some of Bin Laden created a future. He didn't ask for God's permission. He just went ahead and did it. In fact, it's unfortunate that a lot of people that have evil intent have no problem creating a future. But those who are passive and say, well, no, 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 that's up to God. Allow others to make the future for them. And so when I ask, what do you want to do? What is the future that you want to create? Because that's going to tell a lot about you. Is it just about you? The future I want to create is one where I have this and one where I have that. Or is the future you want to create something that betters the world around you? What is it that you want to do? You see, because God, I believe, is entrusting that to you. The proverb says, delight yourself in the Lord and what he will give you the desires of your heart. You see, God wants to give you the desires of your heart, but he's like a loving father, right? He cares about you. And so if you're sitting there and God says, hey, what do you want to do? No, God, I'd like to see something happen to help kids who, you know, are in foster homes you know, have some things that they can do and see that some people care for them. God says, okay, yeah, let's do that. God, I'd like to, you know, see a cafeteria in Haiti. You realize there's no cafeteria yet in Haiti, but there's $15,000 saying there will be. 
We want to create a future. So God says, okay, yeah, let's do that. Well, God, I want to go be a photographer at Mardi Gras. God says, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you see, God, there's delight yourself in the Lord. There's some things God says, no, I'm not going to help you with that. That's stupid. You know, and sometimes we think, well, God saves us from our sins, but he doesn't always save us from our stupidity. Sometimes he does. And so what do you want to do? I believe it's something that God is asking you because he's given you this ability to imagine. And the ancients did that. They put their hope in something that wasn't seen and what God was doing. And they created a people, the nation based on what God said was going to happen. And they leaned into it and it took place. And so the question for us is, what do you want to do? How are we going to show our lives in the future? What are the things that are going to take place? You get to choose what you want to do. God gives us that freedom. And if you've been here for a while, you know I'm all about God entrusting these things to us and us being intentional with how we live our lives. And so the question then is, what do you want to do? And then the last question is then, what is the next step? What do you have to do to create this future that you have, that you're imagining, something that's in line with what God is wanting to do? Because so many times, we just want to throw it all on God. Well, if God wants me to build a cafeteria in Haiti, he'll make it happen. How's he going to do that? You know, what if you sat down at your family dinner, and you sat down and your whole family's there, and your father's sitting at the head of the table, and the father looks to you and says, you're going to eat your mashed potatoes first, then you're going to eat the corn, and then you can have the turkey And then you can go to the restroom and then you can do the dishes and then I want you to go out with Jose, the guy next door. That'd be a little weird, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be a little dysfunctional? I mean, (laughs) no, that'd be great. I mean, who says that? Who does that and thinks, yeah, that's fine. But then we expect God to do that. We expect God to tell us, okay, I want you to do this, I want you to do this, I want you to do this, and then I want you to marry them. Thank you, God. I didn't know who I was going to (laughs) marry. See, those are your mashed potatoes. If you like more salt on them, put more salt on them. If you like gravy, put gravy. If you don't like mashed potatoes, hide them under the carrots. It's up to you. It's your life. If you want to get involved with that person, you're making the decision to be with that person. If you want a life that's going to be good, then you have to do the things that will draw the good to you. Because it doesn't just happen. You have to take the steps to make those things happen. And again, your father says, oh, you want to do this? Oh man, I'll help you out. Here, here's 20 bucks. Go ahead and and go ahead and buy that. And then you find out God blessing you. 
Well, I got blessed. Why? Well, because you were in line with the things that please God. You delighted in Him. And guess what? He's helped manifest the desires of your heart. And so, first of all, recognize who you are. That you are of value to God. So much so that He gave His Son for you. And then God is asking us, what do we want to do? What kind of community do we want to be? And what will we do to be that community? You know, people are always saying, well, yeah, you know, we want young people to come to church. But then when we do things like have spoken word or have a DJ, it's like, hey, we don't want them that much. We do things that people are engaged in. Well, we want to we have a conversation, but when we do it at a brewery, well, we don't want to go there. Well, they're there. They are there. I mean, get my theirs right. But then, old wineskin. Nope, 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 nope. Don't do that. Don't do that. But I can see a community where the people who have been alienated but know and believe that there is a God come and encounter the God who is through us and through what we do. I can see that people are hungry and want to know God and I want to create a community where they can come to, not be judged, not be condemned, be loved and feel comfortable and hear the truth of God through the scriptures and through the things that are talked about. Hear the truth of God through music and conversation and come to an understanding that God is here, that God is speaking, that God really does love me, that Jesus is someone I can lean my life into. I can see that. That's my imagination for our community. That's my desire for our community. And I want us to go there. I want us to be that. I want the reality of who God is to change the foundation of my life so that I will never be the same and I will never Go back to being a person of information. I will never go back to being a person of sensation. I want to be a person who has a relationship with the living God and God speaks to me and God prompts me and God has given me the freedom to make a different world and I want to take it by force because God has entrusted that to us. And so, like I said, this was going to be a little different topic. I'm looking back and I'm thinking, oh man, made a lot of mistakes. I really was hoping after five years we'd be further along. I was hoping we'd be able to afford an administrator. You know, I was really hoping for other things to be happening, but I'm going to still look forward to what we can do. And I I can't stop. And I'm not going to give in to conforming and becoming an old wineskin. I'm just not. I can't. It'll kill me. It will kill us. We will begin to die. And so for 2014, just a brief, because I'm long-winded, we're going to move forward with 
again, the cafeteria in Haiti. We're still collecting money. The 2020, we want to raise 20000 We have over 15000 We've got another month to raise $5,000. You can go online, Genesis IE. We're going to have a dinner, fundraiser dinner, where we can invite people to go to that, and the money will go towards Haiti. We're going to get there. I can see it. We're going to do things to connect to our community. We're going to still do things with the spoken word and try other areas where we can reach out. And we're going to learn how to actually dialogue with people instead of posting things about what we believe on billboards or on Facebook. We're going to learn how to communicate as a community so that we actually engage in meaningful conversation and not throwing up sound bites that turns people off because they see that and they say, well, I guess I'm not one of you. And instead of telling them, well, this is what God has for you. We just throw up the sciences. If you want to be us, this is us. And they say, no, thanks. So we're going to continue leaning forward, learning how to be people that change the community that we live in, change the place where we work, change the schools that we go to, to change the world around us. Why? Because that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. And I hope you guys are with me. You guys with me? Yeah. <laughs> Great. Let's pray and let's do this. I has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart the things that God has prepared for those who love him. God, there is so much that we can do if we really want to. Lord, there is someone we can be if we would just want to. And God, we are going to have faith and hope for what we don't yet see. And, and that includes the people that we are. Lord, I hope to be a better man, a better husband, a better father. I hope to be a, a better teacher, leader, pastor. I, I hope to be a person who has an impact on someone else's life, Lord, I can see that. And I have faith that you will see these things through as I move to do them. As I delight in you. As I lean into you. Make me that man as I follow you. Make me that woman as I trust in you. Help me, God, to put away the insecurities, the lies that I'm being told that you will always be alone, that you will never find anybody, that this is just what's going to happen for you. Help me to put away the lies and see the life that you have made me for. And help me to walk in the reality of that. May my imagination be filled with your truth. May my heart be overwhelmed with your life so that I can't stand still, so that I want to talk about who you are, that I want to sing of who you are. I want to dance even though I can't 
really dance. I just want to give myself to you. And I want to create a future that will honor you. God, we desire this. Lord, make Genesis a light to this world. Make us a city on a hill. Provide for us the things necessary so that we can move forward and do so much. And may we not grow tired in doing what is good. May we not grow faint. But may we, with perseverance and patience, fight on. We do so, Lord, in your name, in Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. God bless you guys. I'll see you next year. Thank you guys so much for, again, your generosity to make the things happen here at Genesis. Thank you for all the blessings you gave Karina and I for the Starbucks cards and the cookies. I thank you. My stomach doesn't thank you, but God bless you guys. Have a great day. Stick around, enjoy each other's company, and let's make a future together. God bless you.